65,498 square miles. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get to it. This is Spanning the State. Here's your host, Kristen Bry. Welcome back to Hour 2 of Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry, along with my dear friend and guest co-host for the day, Steve Scafidi. So later in this hour, we're going to go back in time, because on this day in Wisconsin history... The All-American Girls Baseball League was formed with franchises in Kenosha and Racine. So I can't wait to cover that story. But before we get to that, Steve, question mm-hmm. for you. Yes. How long does it take you to get to your doctor? What do you mean? So you live in Okay. Oh, like yeah. if you have well, to, if you, if you had to go to the hospital, if you have an emergency, or if you're just going to your doctor, how hospital, long? Hospital, it... less than five minutes. Great. Doctor, 10 minutes. So not long. No. And so if you were to get sick and had an extended hospital stay, how long would it take, Kathy, to go visit you versus going back to and from home? Yeah, nothing. Five nothing. minutes. Mm-hmm. So I thought about this over the... I've said this yesterday for people unaware. I had a baby at the end of September. I know you did. Yeah. And baby Frankie. And in those last couple of weeks of being pregnant, you have to go in every week because they have to take your blood pressure, right. make sure that you don't have preeclampsia, um, and just it's... You know, you have to go in. It's not long appointments, but you got to do it every week. And I had a moment that I was running a little bit late because sometimes I'm known to do that. I'm known to <laughs> not on the lose, radio. You lose can't track do of that. time. No, 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 but, no, no. And I thought to myself how lucky I was that it took me ten minutes to get to my house from my house to my doctor's office. And in how much of the state that is not the case? That the fact that whether you're going in for regular visits. When you're pregnant, if you have some kind of other health concern that you need to go in regularly and you have to drive 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 60 minutes, more than that, just to get to your appointment. And one, not only how inconvenient that is, but also if you have an actual emergency or if you are have an extended stay and your family can't you're just alone in the hospital because your family can't come visit you. And so for so much of Wisconsin, we're lucky in southeast Wisconsin where we have a lot of access to health care providers, but that's not the case for a lot of the state. And so we are having a rural health care crisis that has been most recently brought up again because of the closing that's happening with two different hospitals, one in Eau Claire and one in Chippewa Falls. It's not just the cost of facilities. There's a shortage of health care workers. Absolutely. So that magnifies this problem. And we are, they already had a distance problems. I remember having to take someone to an emergency room. This has got to be 25 years ago. It took us 45 minutes because we were in very rural Wisconsin to get to a hospital. That's their normal. We, those of us who are lucky enough to live in big cities, that's not our normal. And if you throw all those other problems on the cost of health care, shortage of doctors, access to these facilities, it can be life-threatening. Well, also because in so much of these areas, the population is aging, right? And so there, the need for that care only increases as people get older. And so we're going to be talking to Caitlin Shuda when we come back, who's been reporting on the crisis itself, also in what is specifically happening in western Wisconsin with the Hospital Sisters Healthcare System, which announced that they're going to close Sacred Heart Hospital in Eau Claire and St. Joseph's Hospital in Chippewa Falls by April, if not sooner. And I mean, these are health providers that have been been there for 135 years. So this is a huge blow to the community. And lawmakers are starting to talk about reallocating money and what we can and cannot do. I know the governor came out and said if we would just expand Medicaid, that would avoid this. So we're going to talk to Caitlin about what 
is actually being done, what could be done that maybe there's just not the political will to do it. So I'm really excited to to get her take on all of this. I was reading some of her uh, reporting last night, Wisconsin Rapids, Rapids Tribune. I was just in Wisconsin Rapids uh, a couple weeks ago, which I love that part of the state because I have relatives in the points. Did you say hi to my parents? I didn't. I, mm. I should have told them I was coming up there. But her reporting is is on point. Absolutely. This is a problem that we have to figure out. And, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about rural areas about, like, broadband access. Well, that's important, but this is really important because you're talking about you're you're dead right about the aging population. The unfortunate thing is that part of the state has some of the oldest population in our state, mm-hmm. so that also adds to the uh, the mix of problems and challenges for health care. So it's it's a big big deal. So when we come back, Caitlin Chuda will join us to talk about her reporting on the rural health care crisis in and across Wisconsin. I'm Kristen Bry. He's Steve Scafidi, and this is Spanning the State on WTMJ. Welcome back to Span of the State. I am Kristen Bry. He's Steve Scafidi. And we are going to talk to Caitlin Shuda, who's going to t- join us to talk about the rural health care crisis and what's being done, what can be done about it. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. So you've been covering, when I read your story that was published last week, We, it was as much about what happened specifically with the announcement of the HSHS closing of the hospitals on Eau Claire and Chippewa Falls, but you also talked about the bigger crisis that's happening across Wisconsin, not just in that part of the state. So can you kind of summarize how dire the situation is? Yes. Um, so actually, I had kind of, had rural health care challenges in my mind for the last maybe two months. Um, I cover mostly uh, business and development news in central Wisconsin. So I was focused a lot on Marshall Clinic Health System announcements. Uh, for example, they had built a brand new hospital in Wisconsin Rapids right next to their current clinic. And that was completed in May and scheduled to open in June. And as of now, that has not opened yet. Uh, so reporting on that, also surgical services through Marshfield Medical Center, River Region, and their Stevens Point campus, they suspended their surgical services and moved their patients to other facilities that had better access to more resources and broader spectrum of care. Uh, There was also the announcement that the potential integration between Marshfield Clinic Health System and Essentia Health ended after two years of discussions, and both of those systems also focused on sustainable rural health care. And then also in January, Marshfield Clinic Health System announced it would furlough about 3% of its employees across the network, uh, largely in non-patient-seeing departments. And then Marshfield Clinic Health System also discontinued oral surgery services uh, by the end of January because of an inability to meet the demand. So then in January also when Purveya Health and HSHS announced that they were leaving Western Wisconsin um, and really focusing their efforts and resources on their facilities in the eastern side of the state, um, that kind of added to a lot of the the trends that I was seeing and all of those announcements actually pointed specifically to challenges in providing rural health care. And we're seeing a lot of patients now having to travel further for certain services, longer wait times for some services, 
and sometimes they're left to find other options elsewhere. Like we're seeing some people looking to travel an hour or more to find some of the surg- the services that they need. I was going to ask you about options. What other options do they have other than they all have to go to local physicians who are going to be bombarded or take extremely long drives? I, I told a story with Kristen earlier that uh, you know a long time ago we had traveled 45 minutes to get to an emergency uh, room at a hospital. I mean, that is in some ways life-threatening. Right. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of uh, people having to travel further to get the services that they need, yeah. So in the official statements for... What you just listed off, whether it was in Marshfield, the HSHS, the official statement from the healthcare systems typically comes back and saying the challenges to providing healthcare in rural areas. What are those challenges? So we wanted to dive into that just because it was such a broad statement yeah. for all of them to be thinking to. Uh, so I talked to the Wisconsin Hospital Association, and then I did some supplemental research into some statistics and, and papers and things, and then also talked with Marshfield Clinic Health System about what those specifically were. So I learned that part of that is an aging population. Uh, rural communities have older populations, more residents 65 years and older than you would find in urban areas. And rural Americans are generally older and they suffer higher rates of obesity, chronic disease, and mental health issues and have less access to primary and specialty care services than in rural, in urban areas. Um, another issue is that the funding system um, has issues that the healthcare systems are spending money in the front end to care for the patients and then they're getting reimbursed from um, health insurance companies and programs. And rural areas have a higher percentage of patients on Medicare and Medicaid, uh, largely because of age. And Medicare and Medicaid reimburse at lower rates, um, and then the health systems are absorbing that difference. So Medicare or Medicaid reimbursement rates in Wisconsin average about 65%, while the national average for Medicaid reimbursement is about 89%. Why do we think that is? Why that difference? That's pretty substantial. It is. I am not, I didn't dive into that specifically, but I think it is, it depends on the state and how they, um, they negotiate that rate. I wonder if it's regulation. I, I'm also curious about what else are the providers saying? Obviously, cost cutting is a, is a common used term for any private or public organization now. We're always trying to, they say, be more efficient with our, with our spending. But when you come to a, a situation where you're, you're providing life critical services, in healthcare, I think that's got. There has to be some sort of civic responsibility. Is that ever talked about? A little bit. They talked about how rural healthcare systems, especially, uh, they generally care for all, all people, um, including non-insured, and then the Medicare and Medicaid, where other for-profit hospitals or privately owned companies have a little more um, say in who they will and will not cover, including. Um, turning away patients with no health insurance or Medicare or Medicaid. Is part of the problem also worker shortages? I know that there was there's a new task force from the governor as far as trying to train up more health care workers. Is that for people to specifically work in more rural areas? Um, yes. One of the issues um, that I'm seeing is that two-thirds of communities with a shortage of primary care workers in rural areas are in um, are in rural areas as of September 2022 was that data. 
Um, we're also dealing with the silver tsunami, which is the baby boomer generation getting to the age of retirement. And so that is going to be seen for the next decade or so as they continue to retire. And that work, that worker shortage is hitting the healthcare industry a little differently than, than other industries as those people are retiring, but also requiring more medical services at the same time. So you're seeing people uh, leaving that industry, but also a higher demand as that happens. The silver tsunami. That's actually the first time I've heard that. I'm sure it's been said before, but I'm in the silver tsunami. I know so you're going to retire in the next home to, couple of years. Yeah, I imagine close to home. Well, when we come back with knowing that, knowing specifically Wisconsin is an above average older state as far as our population goes. So we need to figure this out. We need to come up with a solution. So when we come back, I would love to talk to you about what is happening as far as what we can is being done, what could be done. Our guest is Caitlin Shuda, who is a USA Today Streetwise reporter for Central Wisconsin. This is Spanning the State. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry, along with Steve Scafidi, and we are talking to Caitlin Chuda, who is a USA Today Streetwise reporter in central Wisconsin on her recent reporting for, on the rural health care crisis across Wisconsin. And so, Caitlin, getting into the with the last couple of minutes that we have you, what is being done? I think there's been a lot of alarms raised with the most recent announcement of the, the closings in Eau Claire and Chippewa Falls. So what is already in motion to try to alleviate some of the pain that this is going to cause? So some smaller clinics are expanding in the Chippewa Valley to kind of address those issues. Um, And then Marshfield Clinic Health System and Aspirus Health also recently announced plans to expand their services in the Chippewa Valley just to kind of bridge that gap as HSHS and Prevea are closing in those communities. And so there was also a pair of bills about reallocating 50, like $15 million grants, is that something that's more of a Band-Aid, or is that something that maybe in the next budget cycle could be money that continues to go to that area? I think at this point it's a little bit of a Band-Aid. Uh, those legislative efforts right now, the Chippewa Valley lawmakers are aiming to repurpose $15 million um, in non-unused funds uh, to go towards a grant to support emergency services to kind of fill that gap. Um, so kind of as, as these other health systems and clinics are kind of rising to meet that need, um, that would kind of have a little bridge uh, in order to support that financially. And Caitlin, this might be outside the scope of your reporting. Is the state legislature from Wisconsin, are they paying attention to this problem? I believe so. I have seen a few efforts to expand Medicaid and to increase reimbursement rates to stabilize health care systems as well. And so what are the bigger bigger ideas of what could actually solve this because largely what this is is the fact that as steve has said before there is a private healthcare system that needs to be able to pay its bills keep its lights on and needs enough clientele who is paying enough to to be able to do that so we have a bit of a free market problem here so what is the big big picture solutions of how we continue to provide health care to so many people just and not neglect them of that just because based on where they live the hospital uh, wisconsin hospital association uh made it a point to in, in in solving this issue it's important to recognize that rural hospitals are really acting as a community safety net they're offering services like hospice home care mental health care 
substance abuse services that would not exist in those communities if it were not for those rural hospitals and systems providing that care. Um, but some things could help, like changing some administrative requirements, kind of streamlining that connection and communication between healthcare systems and insurance providers, um, leveraging innovative technology to provide more efficient care, stronger patient connections, um, removing some regulatory barriers, um, and really the health systems themselves uh, need to think differently to adapt to the changes that they're facing that they haven't had to face before. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Caitlin. This is excellent reporting. I look forward to continuing to follow you as you follow this this crisis as it unfolds. But uh, thank you so much for your time today. And so I, I, it's such a big problem. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I think I asked the governmental question because they're going to have to get involved here. We can't have areas of the state that aren't served by hospitals that are missing, have a missing piece of, of life-saving critical care. That just That can't be allowed to happen. Well, and also because this is another topic I want to get at but maybe about a month from now is the fact is as we have the silver tsunami, as Caitlin said, is also the amount of people we'll say graduating into long-term assisted living and those understaffed and needing to really have that uh, figured out. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. It's definitely not going to get better. Study unlimited WTMJ news time is two 30 ABC news and local headlines are next. This is spanning the state with Kristen Bry. with enormously dangerous consequences to the home, the children, and our country. When our boys come home from war, what kind of girls will they be coming home to? And now the most disgusting example of this sexual confusion, Mr. Walter Harvey of Harvey Bars is presenting us with women's baseball. Right here in Chicago, young girls plucked from their families are gathered at Harvey Field to see which one of them can be the most. Women's baseball right here in Wisconsin, 1943 in Kenosha and Racine on this day in history. I love the fact that you're weaving that in. That's well, that's one of the things we're going to do on the show. I'm really this is actually I'm going to I'm going to try to partner with Wisconsin Wisconsin Historical Society. That's cool. And do on this day in Wisconsin history and do fun segments. So we do the present day stories from across the state, but we also go a little bit back in time. So the actual day is the. What, what are we celebrating? Well, well, so the actual day, there's I kind of buried the lead with, the, with that one, but our guest is going to give us the actual information. But today, according to Wisconsin Historical Society on their website on this day in Wisconsin history, uh, today was the day that the All-American Girls Baseball League was formed, and there was franchises in Kenosha and Racine. And so I'm so excited to welcome our guests. Uh, here to talk about the le- the legacy of the league is John Nor- Nondorf, who is uh, from Wisconsin Histor- Historical Society Press, and Tracy Sunday, whose grandmother, Joyce Hill Westerman, played in the league from 1945 to 1952. Welcome to the show, Tracy and John. Thank you. Excited Hi. to be here. I'm so excited to have you. So, John, I w- now that I actually teased it, you informed me when we were corresponding about you coming on the show that the website's actually wrong. And so while we thought it was today, it was actually on the 18th. The 18th, yep. And it was just a document that was filed with the Illinois Secretary of State that incorporated the league officially and kind of made everything legal, everything that happened afterwards, all the contracts they signed and things. 
So it was February 18th, 1943. So we need to put a request in to get the, uh, the website fixed. But I've, you said that you think I've it was... already done that. You already did that. So, but... For people who maybe didn't see a league of their own, obviously I saw it as a child. I then went on to play Little League, but that's a story for maybe later in the show. But for people who maybe didn't see the movie, haven't seen the new TV show that's on Amazon Prime on the same historical event, can you just summarize what the American Girls Baseball League was and what Wisconsin's connection to it was? Sure. Um, Well, I hate to start talking about women's baseball by talking about men's baseball, but that's kind of... (laughs) where the genesis comes from is 1941, you know, you had Joe DiMaggio had a 56 game hitting streak and Ted Williams hit 406 and everybody was really excited about baseball again after world war one and the depression and was starting to pick up steam. And then, you know, Pearl Harbor was bombed and the U S entered the war. So all these guys, Joe DiMaggio, Ted Williams, Bob Feller, they all went off to war and lots of lesser known people went off to war. So you know, major league teams were depleted. Minor league teams were depleted. Um, so Phil Wrigley, the Cubs owner, envisioned a women's baseball league, softball league, to start out with, actually, a professional women's league to sort of keep interest in baseball going while the war was going on. Tracy, how much did and, your grandmother uh, talk about her experience? You know, when we were younger, she didn't talk about it a lot. And then when the movie came out, I think it just kind of rejuvenated a lot of the stories. And so, um, lucky enough, um, we, you know, for for the past uh, 35 years, got to hear many of the stories that she would share with us um, from her the time that she played between 1945 and 1952. So that that seven years, um, you know, created a lot of great memories for her. Did the movie like recreate the experience? Did she say that it feel like that's how she remembered it? Yeah, you know, she said they did a, um, Penny Marshall and team did a really nice job um, capturing the essence of the league. um, And a lot of the stories from the ladies were were taken and recreated within the filming. Um, So she said she gave it about a uh, 90, 95% accuracy. So, John, as a historian, would you also give the the movie or the TV show, if you've seen that, uh, how does it rate, how accurate was it? Well, I actually just rewatched it a couple nights ago. Oh, I hadn't nice. seen it for a long time even. But um, I, I mean, there were certainly discrepancies. It was fictionalized. Like the the focus on the, the Rockford Peaches for the, the movie, and they were in the championship. But in fact, the uh, 1943 championship was the Racine Bells and Kenosha Comets. Mm-hmm. The, the Bells did win that year. But yeah, it was against Kenosha Comets, not the Peaches. And they showed them playing overhand pitches. And in 1943, they pitched underhand. So there were there were some, you know, historical discrepancies. But I think the feel of it, I've heard, is was very accurate. And why how the players' experiences were? And John, why did? Because obviously the league continued to go on even after the war was over. But what was the eventual, for lack of a better word, demise of the league? Well, a lot of it, I think, had to do with television, because by 1950, by 1954, when the league ended, just millions and millions of people had TVs in their home, which just wasn't the case. You know, TV didn't really exist for people in the, the 40s, and um, so they could watch Major League Baseball at home, Hopalong Cassidy, whatever. Um, so entertainment was easily found in the home, and I think the roles of women also changed. Post-war, you kind of had the, you know, the white picket fence and all that. So the Rosie the Riveter had kind of 
lost lost its charm. Mm. So women's baseball wasn't really it, it didn't have that appeal. Yeah, that makes sense. And so when we come back, I want to take a quick break, but when we come back, last year was the 80th anniversary and there was a reunion in Kenosha that Tracy, you were one of the hosts for. So when we come back, I want to get to what that event was like, how many of the original players came, and also just talk about a little bit more of what the legacy of this league left on women's sports. This is Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry, along with Steve Scafidi, and we are talking to John Nondorf, who is from Wisconsin Historical Society Press, and Tracy Sunday, granddaughter of one of the original athletes, baseball players in the All-American Girls Baseball League, which on February 18th, not February 20th, was founded 81 years ago. And so last year was the 80th anniversary, and it was finally... The reunion game was hosted in Kenosha. And Tracy, you were one of the hosts, correct? Yeah, I was. I was. We had a very special event here in Kenosha, and it was actually the first ever reunion to be held in Kenosha. Which is, you'd think with with so few teams originally, of the original teams that were there, that it would have been one of the first ones to have the reunion game. But how did you get involved? So I've been involved with um, the league and the reunions for many years through through my grandmother. And my grandma passed um, in 2020, and there was a couple of reunions um, that were supposed to be in the Chicago area that were put on um, hold um, due to COVID. And then there was a reunion in 2022 in South Bend. And at the end of that reunion, I got the tap on the shoulder and asked if I would be willing to host a reunion for 2023 in Kenosha. So. I couldn't say no to the offer. I was excited to do it. And I think it's super important that we keep these reunions going and we keep um, the history of, of uh, the league and the memories of and stories of these ladies uh, going for the, the younger generation. Um, it's, it's critical that they have the opportunities that these trailblazing women did as well. Tracy, did you inherit any of your grandmother's baseball skills? <laughs> I did. I did. I just played through high school, um, but I also have three sisters that also played, two of them there in college, go. and my my mother was also an All-American. So. Wow. Wow. That's a pedigree. That is a legacy. Yeah, nice. absolutely. So how many of the uh, uh, players made it to the reunion last year? So we had eight original players, which I was extremely happy about. No kidding. Um, we only have about 35 wow. um, players left and of those very few are able able to travel so having eight of these miraculous women with us was very impressive and i have to say so i i watched the video that discover wisconsin produced of the event and some of the interviews they have with these women they are spitfires. I, they, they, it was some of the quotes the glasses how proud they still are of how good they were at baseball is was so fun to watch. So if you want to actually see the the Discover Wisconsin video, text baseball to the WTMJ talk and text line 855-616-1620. That's to see the Discover Wisconsin produced video on on the event. And so cuz it was also brought together high school and college players, correct? Yeah, so we actually um were able to get the USA women's national team and then the All-American Girls Baseball Team, uh, which is a league created by uh, one of the original players um, for young women to play during the summer months that are either in um, 
um, high school or softball, whether it be softball or baseball. So creating a, um, a more professional league. So they brought in a team and played an exhibition against the USA Women's National Team as they were preparing to go to Canada um, to participate in the tournament for the World Cup. So it was super fun having them there and the skills, oh, oh my goodness, they just, they literally knocked it out of the park. <laughs> Pun intended. Well, Tracy and John, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to bring more history of Wisconsin back to life. And so again, if you want to see the video and learn a little bit more about what the 80th reunion looked like, text baseball to the WTMJ talk and text line 855-616-1620. And I'll quickly just say I did play Little League with the boys when I was nine. Why does that not surprise me? I was not very good. <laughs> did that surprise you? Yes. Because you're, you're athletic. I am athletic. I was, uh, but I did, I don't know, and I don't know what inspired me more. The movie a league of their own because I was that was around the age that the movie came out, or just being dragged by my parents to go watch my older brother play at the uh, West Madison Little League field. Maybe just and I eventually was like, yeah. I I think I could do this. I played one year. I was the only girl. Amazing story. Amazing story. <laughs> All right. When we come back, we will check in with John McCure on what he has coming up for Wisconsin's afternoon news. This is spanning the state with Kristen Bray. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry. We are coming to the end of our show. A big thank you to Sam Butson for doing a superb job producing our show the last two days. And a big thank you to Mr. Steve Scafidi. I've enjoyed it. I got a bottle of wine, which I wasn't expecting. That, that's always appreciated. As a wine you, drinker, are you kidding me? You get treats when you come to my show. Is that so? Next Monday, I, don't know if I, I will can get promise more that treats for every show. No. Yeah, and I'll be back next Monday. Which you'll are, be back on Monday, which that? I'm excited about because we're mm -hmm. going to talk to Mario Caron about his new New York. He now works for the New York Times. Uh, used to be with Wisconsin Watch about what's going on with Wisconsin prisons and the uh, correctional officer shortage that we're going through and what. That is created as far as the living conditions for for prisoners, and it was a it was a big story. And I know he's continuing to follow that. Best advice: stay out of prison. That always is... always works. Always always works. Have you ever been arrested? No. No. Never <laughs> been in handcuffs. I've never been anything. Not nothing like that. Not, not even close. I bumped a police officer once, and he threatened me, but oh. I'm not on purpose. Have but... you ever been in handcuffs when you weren't being arrested? What? We were yeah. letting that one go. As my granddaughter says, none of your business. That's right. Amy and I looked at each other with raised eyebrows. <laughs> we were going to have the handcuff discussion. No. <laughs> no. Interesting. Yeah, exactly.